Welcome to this sermon podcast from Myo Baptist Church, and thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that God's Word will be an encouragement to you and a reminder that the Bible has all the answers to living a successful and fulfilled life. Again, thanks for listening. We now join the service in progress. Appreciate him. You're here this morning and you're struggling. There's a good chance it could be concerning a topic, at least you've never identified it this way before. The topic being your identity. You're not the person that you want to be. People don't see you as you want to be seen. You, you feel like a failure. You, you feel like a, a, a loser. You're, you're always striving to be better, to, to, to do good, basically to impress people. You're, you're trying to be what you imagine people want you to be. Or maybe you're past that and you're just, you're self-identifying. I'm not trying to impress anybody. This is who I am. Take it or leave it. Well, yeah, you're still trying to impress people. You're just going about it with a different mindset. Either way, it can be very frustrating to the point of being depressing. As I stand before you this morning, I believe this with all my heart, that God has me standing here to go to bat for you this morning. Remember, I am your friend, and, and, and God loves you. And I may step on your toes. I don't know. I don't know how it's going to play out. But understand, God has me here going to bat for you this morning. For you to be different, you're going to have to change. You're going to have to acknowledge when the Lord points out in a message a problem. You've got to acknowledge. You can't defend it. You can't excuse it. You've got to acknowledge, yeah, that, that, that's a problem. And then you've got to be willing to do something about it. Otherwise, don't complain. Don't, don't feel sorry for yourself. You're being given a chance this morning to, through the power of God's Word, to grow. And you can't, if you're not changing, you can't grow. Growth is change. I got a lot to share with you this morning. Let me get into it. The title of the message this morning is Who Am I? Talking about identity there. The subtitle is The Role of Rebuke. Let's see. Oh, this is on. Okay. The Role of Rebuke. We'll talk more about rebuke towards the end of the message. We're going to start in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse number 17, when we talk about identity. It says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. When you get saved, you are a different person. Guess what? You have a new identity. Old things, your old identity, who you saw yourself as, who you wanted to be, and how you wanted others to see you, and we all grapple with that. There's not a person in this room that doesn't grapple with that. That old identity, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. This verse clearly states that when you believe you become a new creature, you have a new identity. Old things, your old identity are passed away. This acknowledges that you experience an identity change when you get saved. However, as most of you know, that change can be difficult. Once you get saved, there can still be a lingering battle ongoing in your soul between that old man and that new man, or that old identity and that new identity. 
So I want to be clear what we're talking about this morning. So on the screen behind me, it'll say, the purpose of this message is to acknowledge the conflict that is likely to occur between your old identity and your new gospel identity. And to acknowledge an important means that the Lord uses to encourage you in your new gospel identity. The Bible acknowledges that once you get saved, you're given this new identity. You're a new creature in Christ. But then it talks about after you're saved, putting off the old man. You still have to work at it. Because that old identity wants to linger on. And the clash of those two identities can be very frustrating. I mean, it, it, can, it can be discouraging. You can feel like throwing in the towel. Well, when we talk about identity, what do we mean? Your identity is simply how you see yourself. And you do have an opinion of yourself. Some of you may have a too high opinion of yourself. Some of you may have a too low opinion of yourself. But every one of you has an opinion of yourself. It's how you see yourself. It's at the core of how you perceive yourself and how you want others to perceive you. Your identity basically is two components. How you see yourself and how you want others to see you. And it can be very frustrating trying to live that out. Trying to be something really you are not. Unsaved people's identities, we've said this is a bit of review, are often defined by two things. This is people that reject Jesus Christ. They're not in church this morning. They're out there. They're floating the river. They're, you know, watching TV or whatever. The unsaved world, unsaved people's identities are often defined by two things. One is the culture around them, the world around them. And our culture, what does it do today? It puts a premium. Culture puts a premium on looks, on on possessions, on popularity, athleticism. And a lot of people, therefore, want to be seen as popular, successful, attractive, athletic. And this becomes their identity. This is how I want to be seen. I want to be one of the beautiful people and I'll buy all the makeup in the world. I'll buy the finest clothes in the world because they're trying to project their identity that the world has imposed upon them. And their life is centered on establishing and maintaining an identity that is defined by culture. Now you can pursue that if you want to and probably most of us in this room have tried that at one time or another. Do you know how frustrating that can be? How unfulfilling that can be. It's like when you're a kid and you were told that there's a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And when you see the rainbow as a kid, you're trying to find that end. And it's not there. Just totally frustrating. So it is with our identity when we look to the movie stars, we look to the fashion industry, we look to athletes, entertainers. They, They determine what's cool and we try to be that. We're trying to establish that identity. That's when the culture imposes an identity on you. Totally frustrating. Because you want other people to acknowledge that in you, and when they don't, you feel like a loser, you feel like a failure. In all too many cases, you're trying to be something you were never intended to be. Well, people in recent years have gotten frustrated with that, so they're independent. I'm my own man. I'm my own woman. I will, nobody's going to tell me how to live, not even Hollywood. I am going to self-identify. That's the other way lost people deal with their identity. 
So people today self-identify sexually as gay or transgender. They self-identify as powerful, assertive, dominant. Self-identify as I want people to see me as smart and intelligent. I want people to see me as gifted and talented. In some cases, and this is real popular today, I want people to see me as independent, free-thinking, my own person, avant-garde. And you work really, really hard. If you need to dye your hair purple, you dye your hair purple. If you need to put paper clips through your nose, or any, and I, I don't mean to be making fun of somebody if you're dressed that way, but I mean, it, we, I can't be silent. You're struggling. You're struggling for an identity. That's what that is saying. And you work very hard. And those people so often are not happy. Because when you self-identify, it makes you very much self-centered and competitive and frustrated and angry when people don't see you the way you insist that they see you. So whether you are trying to maintain an identity that you think the world wants you to have, or whether you reject that and say, no, this is who I am, and you can like it or lump it, both of those are frustrating. Both of those are unfulfilling. They can't bring you joy or peace or happiness. That's unsaved people. And now you understand why so many of your relatives are angry or they're depressed. Because they can't live up. And people aren't validating them the way they expect to be validated. And especially from you Christians when they do the things they do and you say that's wrong they get mad because that's their identity and how dare you judge them these are unhappy people but thankfully there is an identity that works an identity that relieves you of all the pressure it's a gospel identity a gospel identity is conferred upon you when you trust Christ as your Savior. A gospel identity takes away all the pressure to try to find yourself, promote yourself, or defend yourself. When you accept who you are in Christ, that is a gospel identity that is freeing. It is liberating. A gospel identity is satisfying and reassuring in part because it answers the most important questions in your life. When you have a gospel identity, you have answers to questions. It tells you where you came from. You're a creation of God. You're, those people out there right now, the ones that are unsaved, they don't have a clue where they came from. I mean, they, they just take it for granted. Big bang, you know, we just appeared. Well, how do you explain that? We don't know. That's got to be a little bit frustrating when you don't know where you came from. That's got to be a little bit comforting when you do know where you came from, a creator God. That of a heart of love created you for his honor and glory. It tells you why you're here. To enjoy him. And to bring honor and glory to him. Ask your unsaved co-workers, ask your unsaved fellow students why they're here. I don't know. Party? How's that working for you? It gets old. 
But for those of you that are saved, you have that gospel identity. You know why you're here. You know where you're going. Lost people don't know where they're going. Yeah, what happens when you die? I don't know. I guess that's, that's the end of it. Do you know that for sure? No. Do you find that comforting? No. How are you dealing with all that uncertainty? Yeah, that's uh, a little disconcerting, isn't it? Yeah, guess what? I know where I'm going. I have peace in my gospel identity. And it also tells you what is right and what is wrong. With that gospel identity, we have, we have the instruction manual for life right here. You know, just like my manual in my car, if I need to know something about tires, I find tires. If I need to know something about the headlights, I find headlights in here. When I need to know something about marriage, it's there. Parenting, it's there. Morality, it's all there. And with that gospel identity, you're freed from the pressure of finding yourself. You're freed from trying to impress and please others. You're free from the worry and concern of what others think about you. But there can be, even for people who are saved, a problem. And we're, going, we're not going to sweep that problem under the rug. Once saved, and the gospel identity is conferred upon you, there can still be a, tr- uh, a problem with the, and a struggle with the old identity. Scripture calls this the battle between the old man, the old identity, and the new man. The new identity is clearly expressed in Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 22. That's why it says that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, the old identity, that's trying to impress everybody, that's trying to find its way, that's that's looking for answers, therefore is totally frustrated, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, the new identity, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So, Those verses are acknowledging in the life of a believer you still have that struggle with the old man or the old identity. And you have to make an effort to put him off. And for many of you, when we talk to you about what's personal and what's real about who you are, this describes perhaps what you're dealing with. And why you feel frustrated. Why you feel like a loser why you're struggling, why you're not happy. Understand, even the Apostle Paul struggled with this. Romans 7.18 For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. Paul, the great Apostle Paul, saved. He's got a gospel identity. He's saying here in this passage, the things that I ought to do, I struggle to do that, and the things that I shouldn't do, I struggle because I want to do them. And that illustrates the conflict that occurs between the old man and the new man, or the old identity and the new identity. I don't think there's a better story in all of Scripture that describes that. You might not have thought about it before, but... Simon the sorcerer. Here's a man that, well, some theologians say that this man never got saved, and I I just totally disagree with that, 100% disagree with it. So just get that out of the air right now, in case you've thought that before, I, I would disagree. But here's a man that I do believe did get saved, and yet he struggled. I think you're going to relate to Simon. Let's read his entire story. 
Acts chapter 8, verse number 9, but there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery. That would be like witchcraft, the occult. And bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one. He ate it up. Now, whether he really had some evil powers or whether he's a scam artist is really irrelevant. The point is, he had the acclaim of the people, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard, because that of a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. Anybody want to guess what Simon's identity is there? I am somebody. Look what I can do. Bring him to me. Watch this. Watch what I can do. And it says, from the least to the greatest, ooh, ah, look at him. He's eating it up. That, his identity here is found in, 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 in what he can do. Okay? That's his, his identity. It's not gospel. That's his self-identity. This is, I want to be known by what I can do, and I'm pulling this off real well, and everybody is oohing and aahing over me, and I can walk down the street, and I am somebody. But let's read on. Verse number 12. But when they believed, people in the city, Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God. Here comes a preacher. He's going to mess things up. In the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also. You say, preacher, you just said some people don't believe he got saved. Well, what does it say? He believed. I say he got saved. And when he was baptized, he also got baptized. He continued with Philip. He followed and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. I believe this man got saved. Got to the point too, yeah, I'll be baptized. And yeah, I want to hear more. He's following them. He's got a new identity. He, he now has this gospel identity. He, he has this, this new man. He is a new creature in Christ. But we read on. The plot thickens. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only that were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid hands there on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. So here comes, here, here, here comes Peter and John, and, and people are, 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 are getting the Holy Ghost, they're getting saved, what have you. And Simon's watching this. Now, he used to have all the attention. His old man, his old nature, his old identity. He used to be the one that everybody was looking at. And right now, since he's gotten saved, that's changing. But that still appealed to him. So when he sees the apostles doing really the miracles that they're doing, well, let's read in verse number 18. And when Simon saw that through laying on the hands of the apostles, on the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. My personal interpretation there is that old man was still in him. And he was missing the acclaim. And he was missing the attention. And the fame that came with it. So he says, look, hey guys, I want what you got. Here, what, what, what do you want for it? $100, $200,000? And look at the response. Verse 20. It's a rebuke. 
But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. You know, Ananias and Sapphira earlier in this uh, same book, they were struck down dead for what they did. And perhaps Peter is thinking here that he's going to be struck down dead. So he says, you know, your money perish with you. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. He said, you're being like you used to be. There's nothing but iniquity and bitterness here. Peter knew his motives. I mean, he's acknowledging his motives. It's not, you know, you could think, well, maybe he wanted to do good. I think Peter would have acknowledged that. Hey, you know, Simon, yeah, you want to do good? Put your wallet up. Let me explain. No, I think he knew that he was offering money to do something based on his own identity, his own desire to, uh, to, to have a claim and to have fame. And then in verse number 24, Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me, that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. Can you relate to Simon? He gets saved, but some of the old ways are still appealing to him. And he's struggling to find his way. That certainly happens with a lot of new Christians. But even after the newness wears off, somewhere along the line in life, you could have been saved 10, 15, 30, 40 years. The old man in you can raise its head and desire that you go back to your old identity. Simon is struggling with his identity. Apparently, his old man still wanted attention and acclaim. That's in stark contrast to the humility and the modesty that is supposed to be evident in the new man. Simon was having a battle. And it had to be, until that battle was resolved, it had to be frustrating. Oh, I was supposed to be a good Christian. But I, I, man, look at those guys. They're getting all the attention. Why, why can't I get all the attention? I think that's common to this day. So what are you supposed to do with that? You don't want to struggle with that all your life. Oh man, the, 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 my old identity, my old man is, is pulling. I like the attention. I like being invited to the parties. I like the recognition from all the officials. I like the acclaim and the fame that comes with it. And as a Christian, I, 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 I got to be humble and modest and, and, and meek. And Peter was on to me. He, he knew where I was headed with that. He's got that. What's the answer? Nobody wants to live that way. You want to have it settled. Here is who I am. That's when you have the peace. That's when you have the joy. You're not trying to impress anybody. You're not trying to fool yourself. So what's the answer? Let me propose this. Hope someone will have the courage and compassion to recognize your struggle and your potential error and rebuke you. And trust that you will respond with grateful humility. Nobody likes to be rebuked. But boy, do we need to be rebuked. 
Simon didn't know what a friend. He, he could have gotten angry at Peter. How dare you? Do you know who I was? Peter did the right thing. Peter couldn't have done a better thing for that man. Simon was blessed to have the rebuke of Peter. In his battle for identity, which is what he was dealing with, he needed the help from someone to urge him to deny self-identity or cultural identity and embrace his new gospel identity. When you are in an identity struggle, you need to listen to the rebuke and be grateful for the person issuing the rebuke. We don't like rebuke, but it's very much a Bible principle. It it serves a very good purpose. Rebuke is the appropriate answer for someone who is determined to present an identity that they shouldn't. That's why when your kids are rebelling, you know, they get angry at you because you're you're not recognizing who they want to be and how they want to be that, but they need your rebuke. It's a Bible principle. It, it is, it's kind of a, maybe a, a, a last-ditch effort. You know, you've tried reasoning, you've tried praying for them, but they're insistent. They better hope that they have a mom, dad, a pastor, or a friend that is willing to stand up to them and tell them the truth. Telling it in love, but not pulling any punches. It's a clear Bible principle. Jesus said in Revelation 3.19, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Rebuke isn't a bad thing. When you're headed over a cliff, somebody needs to rebuke you. 2 Timothy 4.2 Paul tells Timothy, Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke. That's a message to preachers. You see somebody, you see a group, you see a family headed in the wrong direction. They've not responded. Well, now it's time for a rebuke. Proverbs 27.5 Open rebuke is better than secret love. Oh, I'm not going to say anything. My heart's broken, but I'm not going to say anything. What is rebuke? Rebuke, express is the expression of sharp disapproval or criticism of someone because of their behavior or actions. It's a reprimand. This quote, nothing can be more cruel, nothing can be more cruel than the tenderness that consigns another to his sin. The tenderness that consigns another to his sin. Nothing can be more compassionate than the severe rebuke that calls a brother back from the path of sin. People will come into an old-fashioned, is this not working? All right, we're good. We're good. People have a hard time with rebuke. People come to this church. We're we're a Bible-preaching church. Okay? And even without me knowing the visitor or what their issues are, people will say, I'm never going back there. Why? Because they were rebuked. From God's word. It's not not the path you want to take. If it's God's word that rebukes you, you better pay attention. You better listen. It is in your best interest to listen. What is the purpose of rebuke? Titus 1.13. 
This witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them shortly that they may be sound in the faith. When someone is straying, you rebuke them. You point out the error of their ways. You do it lovingly, but you do it without compromise, without pulling any punches. That is exactly what Simon needed. He needed someone to tell him the truth. This quote, a rebuke is designed to develop spiritual insight, character, or capability. Or it is meant to halt something that is destructive or detrimental to larger interests. Not everyone handles rebuke well. Proverbs 9, 8, reprove not a scorner lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man and he will love thee. There have been occasions that people have come to me and said, you need to go talk to them. Because they're going down a path of destruction, leading them away from the Lord. And if I perceive that they are a scorner, I will not, based on this verse right here. You reprove a scorner, he'll hate you. It's a judgment call. I ask for God's wisdom in that. It doesn't happen often. But there have been some times when people have come to me and said, you need to go talk to that person. Well, I know that person. And I know if I go and talk to them, they're just going to give me an earful. And I mean, they're, they're, just, they're, not, gonna, they're not even going to give me the time of day. And they will hate me the more. But a wise person, you can rebuke. It's a wonderful thing to go to somebody who doesn't have that kind of character flaw, that sin nature. And I'm eager to go talk to them because I know the rebuke. They'll listen. And they'll change. This quote, value those who give you constructive criticism because without them doing so, you will never reach the peak of what you are to do. Peter told him what was wrong. And Peter told him how to fix it. He told him, you're, you're, you're in bitterness, you're, you're, you're in sin, and you need to repent. A good rebuke is issue-specific. So, let's end with some practical thoughts this morning, and we're done. How can you identify a godly rebuke that you should hear and heed? How is it that you can identify a godly rebuke? How do you know that it's just not somebody just... They don't like you, or they're just mad at you, or they're unsaved, they're just being critical of you. How, how is it that the Holy Spirit can impress upon you, I need to listen to that man. I need to listen to that woman. Number one, you should always heed rebuke when the rebuke is coming from a God-ordained authority. You should always listen to rebuke when it comes from a God-ordained authority. Titus 2.15, these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. That's Paul's instructions to Titus as a preacher. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. God-ordained authority would include parents, pastors, employers, and government officials. Those are all God-ordained authorities. And when they speak to you, and they sense that you're on the wrong path, as Peter did with Simon, you need to listen. You need to really listen. If the person coming to you is coming to you from a position of God-ordained authority. Number two, you should always heed rebuke when the rebuke is coming from a mature, committed Christian friend. 
It's not just authorities in your lives that you need to listen to. It may be simply a mature Christian friend. Luke 17, 3. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. This is talking about friends rebuking friends. That is mature Christian friends. If someone comes up to you and says, I want to talk to you. You know, can we meet for lunch or whatever? And then they start off by saying, this is going to hurt you, but I need to share this with you. If they are a mature Christian brother or sister, it would be in your interest to listen. Listen to them. Number three, you should always heed rebuke when the rebuke is motivated by concern and compassion for your spiritual well-being. You listen to them not only for who's saying it, but what they're saying it and how they're saying it and especially why they're saying it. If somebody's just disagreeing with you or mad at you and they rebuke you for that, you know, you, you might disregard that. But if they're coming to you with a, a, a rebuke that's motivated by concern and compassion for your spiritual well-being, you need to listen. The Lord says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Change. As many as I love. If a pastor stands in this pulpit and with a heart of compassion steps on your toes, you need to listen. If your mom or dad approaches you, they're mature Christians and they're burdened for your soul, you need to listen. If you're blessed to have a godly employer or someone like that, You need to listen. And number four, you should always heed rebuke when the rebuke is grounded in the word of God. If they're coming to you and they're stepping on your toes and they're challenging you and they've got scripture to back it up. You'd be an absolute fool not to listen. Preach the word, be instant in season, Paul tells Timothy. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering. Preach the word and you use that as the basis for rebuke. They're not coming to you because they just have a different opinion than you. No, they see where you're going and they see that it's contrary to God's word. And they say, here's what scripture says. And you got to admit... You're living quite contrary to what this says. Struggling with identity after acquiring a gospel identity can't be, <coughs> excuse me, can be expected. The issue then becomes which identity is going to win. Because as long as you're struggling, you're going to be miserable and you're going to, you're going to want to have a decision. Okay. The old me is wanting that acclaim and that that fame and what have you. And the new me is wanting this. And after a while of struggle, you've seen some people just go with the old identity. I'm I'm not in church anymore. There's been people come to this church for years and they're just out in the world today. They gave in to the old identity. They just, they threw in the towel. and, And they gave in. But what you want to do is do the right thing. Because I, I guarantee you they're still struggling with the things that you struggle with with the old identity. 
Wanting people to authenticate you. Wanting people to accept you. Wanting people to to perceive you as you want to be perceived. And that's just maddening. Because it's never satisfying. Thankfully, there have been people through the years that come in and they hear the gospel preached or a godly mom or dad talk to them and they, they repent. And they get their heart right and they accept their gospel identity and God blesses. It is extremely important how you respond to godly identity. We've given you four points that I think with a very high degree of certainty, if it meets all four of those points, this is a godly rebuke that you need. And it's given because God loves you and he's given it to you through an authority or through a friend. And it's so important that you just throw in the towel on the culture that's trying to mold you, mold you into its identity or your self-identity that you're trying to mold everybody else into. You know it doesn't work. It never will work. It can't work. People that are just trying to live up to what the world tells them to, to be or what they try to be themselves are the most frustrating, miserable people you'll ever meet. A Christian with a gospel identity... I know where I came from. I know why I'm here. I know where I'm going. I know the difference between right and wrong. You know, if you love me, fine. If you don't love me, fine. I'm not playing games. not trying to maintain an image. You know, I'm, I'm not mad if you love me or not because guess what? Jesus loves me. You know. That's bottom line to everything. It doesn't mean we we don't care about people. I'm not suggesting that. But what we care about most is what we know about what the Lord says about us and the identity that he confers upon us. This final quote. Our great apostasy, apostasy means drifting away from the truth, drifting away from the Lord. Our great apostasy or drifting seems to consist primarily in making a God of self. And he is the most valuable friend who will draw us most from self-seeking, self-pleasing, and self-dependence and help us to restore to God the authority we have robbed him of. Trust me. No. Trust God. Trust his word. He tells you to put off the old man for a reason. Put on a new man for a reason. He doesn't want you to be miserable. He, he, he doesn't want you struggling to be something you're not. And when you're not, you feel like a loser. You feel like a failure. He wants you to be complete in him. Happy in him. Your joy is from him. To acknowledge your identity, your gospel identity in Christ can be immensely freeing. And the weight of the world off your shoulders. As we stand, please, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that the service was a blessing to you and that you were encouraged by God's Word. If you have any questions about Mile Baptist Church, please contact us anytime. You can find contact information on our website 
at myobaptistchurch.com. Thanks for listening.